Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest. I'm Lauren Del Cello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. And I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And in this special episode of Talking Underwater, we are introducing the first of a four-part series digging into the value of water. We're releasing a special series each Friday throughout October in conjunction with the Value of Water campaign, which is a U.S. Water Alliance campaign, and Imagine a Day Without Water, which is October 21st. This series will focus on sharing diverse voices and perspectives on solving water access, equity, and affordability issues, starting with the role of One Water before digging into the utility perspective, a community group perspective, and finally, a perspective from the ground floor on water access. In this episode you're listening to now, we talked to Radhika Fox, CEO for the U.S. Water Alliance, about some of the pillars of One Water, including water equity, affordability, and access, and overarching barriers they face. We also covered in this discussion how One Water and the U.S. Water Alliance has evolved in the face of the coronavirus pandemic and racial inequity conversations. In the next three episodes of this series, scheduled to release on October 16th, 23rd, and 30th, You'll hear from each of us separately as the podcast hosts conducted the subsequent interviews individually. Next week, you'll hear Bob's conversation with the utility voice on these issues. Yeah, and we're all very committed to elevating these conversations uh, surrounding issues of water access, equity, and affordability, and the role of One Water in driving that forward. We encourage you to reach out to us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts and start a dialogue with us on these topics and and whatnot. Um, We find them very valuable and really important. And this year has only been, we've only seen it highlighted more this year because of the coronavirus pandemic. And we felt the need to really share these stories um, and bring these content areas to you. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So without further ado, here's that interview with Radhika Fox. Radhika, thank you so much for joining us on this call to talk a little bit more about Imagine a Day Without Water and One Water and whatnot. Um, yeah, let, let's start from there. How has One Water kind of evolved in the face of this coronavirus pandemic and COVID-19 in 2020? Yeah, well, first of all, Bob, it's just always great to join you all. And I was reminiscing about how the last time we had a chance to talk and be on this podcast, we were all together at the, um, on the floor of WEF Tech. So hopefully yeah. there will be a time when we can all gather together again. Um, so uh, as far as how One Water is evolving in the, the face of um, the pandemic, I feel like it's a little too soon to tell in some ways. Um, you know, I know that many utilities are really, you know, doing significant budget cuts, hiring freezes, um, you know, really looking at their capital budgets about what's essential. And so one of the things that I think we don't know, but is important to make the case for, is that One Water actually is a back to basics approach in many respects when it comes to water, right? Because we can make an investment and we can think in a more integrated way, we can get to multiple benefits, um, we can make investments that are sustainable. So one of the things we've been really working hard to do with all of our member utilities is to frame One Water as a path to economic recovery, as a path to mm-hmm. um, sustainable recovery ac- across the water sector. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, one of the other big topics of this area, which you kind of touched on, is kind of just the social and racial inequity conversations that are happening this year in the face of all the other things going on. Could you talk a little bit about One Water and kind of how it slots in with that? Because it sounds like it does slot in almost like hand in hand. Yeah, uh, great question. Um, you know, what I have been so impressed about as we look across the water sector is that as there has been a call for racial justice, I really think that um, the water industry is having very courageous conversations. I was just talking, for example, with um, Tony Parrott in, in Louisville, and he has actually established a a compliance and equity officer to really think across the utility about how they um, adopt more equitable practices. Um, similarly, I, I saw the other day that Jacobs, you know, global engineering firm has established a new position focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I think on the one hand, um, we're seeing a moment where the sector is really considering all of the ways in which systemic racism uh, exists in our in our industry and, and that there's many, many ways that we can make progress. So that gives me a lot of hope. Um, but I also think that um, what the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us is just the ways in which there have been inequities by race, by income, as far as um, access to water, affordability challenges, et cetera. And so uh, one of the things that we've been doing over the last six months is really accelerating our work on water equity with members around the country uh, because they're really looking for um, tools and strategies around, uh, around how to um, uh, incorporate those considerations into water management. Mm -hmm. uh, so we asked you on the podcast today, Radhika, because we're working on a series of conversations throughout the month of October, dovetailing, of course, with Imagine a Day Without Water and the Valley of Water campaign, which, you know, we love to support and raise conversations about and appreciate your work with that. But we wanted to talk to you about how all of these different elements are interrelated, the elements of equity, affordability, and access. And I think that blends really well with what you were just speaking about because they're all interconnected, right? So could you maybe very briefly just give us an overview of how to start with equity uh, relates to these issues and how uh, water professionals can be on the forefront of that? Um, well, thank you, Lauren. And I'm so excited for the, the whole series and just what a great idea on your part. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, well, so it's a great question. I So I, I wanted to start, I think, first by talking about what we mean by equity versus equality. Mm -hmm. um, for us, equality is about um, uh, the uh, sameness in inputs. Equity is about creating um, uh, better and fair outcomes from as far as outputs go. So equity is really about just and fair inclusion of all people, regardless of where they live, um, their gender, their race, um, all of those things. Um, in the water sector, we really think of water equity as about three pillars. One, we have to make sure that all people have safe, affordable, reliable access to water and wastewater services. And that's a growing issue in communities around the country. The second thing is we know that water infrastructure investments are some of the biggest investments being made in communities around the country. So as those investments are made, 
we really need to make sure that the jobs, the business uh, opportunities, all of the community benefits that get generated by infrastructure are equally shared. So that's the second pillar. And then finally, the third pillar is um, really about the changing climate. We know that low-income people and communities of color are hit first and worst by climate challenges. And we also know that water is most often how we feel climate stress, right? Whether it's drought, flooding, um, uh, sea level rise. And so we really have to make sure that as we make our, our water systems more resilient, we really pay attention to making sure all communities are more resilient. So those are really for us, the three pillars of water equity. And I think what's exciting is um, we're seeing utilities adopt uh, these practices all around the country. So what is the U.S. Water Alliance also doing to advance water equity? Well, we have, um, over the last couple of years, worked closely with seven uh, utilities, seven cities, through something called the Water Equity Task Force. Uh, the cities were Atlanta, Buffalo, Camden, Cleveland, Louisville, Milwaukee, and Pittsburgh. And yes, I always have to say them in alphabetical order, so I don't forget. <laughs> but, um, for the last two years, we've been working um, with these utility community partnerships to develop water equity roadmaps and to uh, implement the policies. So for example, uh, in Buffalo, they have a new affordability program that's gonna reach thousands of families. Uh, in Louisville, they've established a community benefits program and are thinking about uh, their contracting and procurement uh, policies. In Milwaukee, they have a new citizen advisory council that's helping um, guide the utilities on equity issues. So it's been phenomenal what these seven cities have accomplished. So we really are helping the water industry, our members kind of meet this moment around equity, inclusion, racial justice um, by launching the Water Equity Network. Our goal is that over the next five years, we'll have 75 cities uh, that join the network and develop their own water equity strategies. We have just actually onboarded the first 10 uh, new cities. So we're at 17 already and would love to come back in, in future conversations and just share the progress that those cities are making. That's great to hear. And going, jumping off of that, um, can you kind of give an overview of water affordability and how it relates to equity and access and everything that we've been talking about too? Yeah. I would say that water affordability is going to be one of the biggest issues that faces our sector in the next couple of decades. And that it's been an issue that has been set up by, uh, I think, a bad set of choices that have happened for a number of years, right? So uh, part of the water affordability challenge that we face in this country is because we have steadily seen a decline in federal investment in water infrastructure vis-a-vis -vis, uh, other sectors like transportation. So, for example, just um, recently, the Value of Water campaign released a study that showed that uh, about 4% is the federal share of investment in water infrastructure. So, this has been a challenge for decades. It's nothing new to you, Katie, Bob, Lauren. Um, but what it means is that the utilities rely on their rate base as a way to generate revenue. And uh, that is creating affordability challenges for the lower income people in, um, in their service area. Um, I think now with COVID-19 and the unemployment um, and um, the job loss that we're seeing, the affordability crisis is, is growing. 
And so I think that uh, utilities are really in this double bind, right? How do we make sure we're providing water service, keeping it affordable for a growing number of lower income people and um, still keeping the systems in a state of good repair? Um, we don't have any good solutions at the federal level that have been adopted. Um, and so again, it's states and localities that are going alone on this issue. So thank you for bringing that up because I actually wanted to ask you too about that study that uh, you recently collaborated with on with the American Society of Civil Engineers, I believe. And as the time we're recording this podcast, that was just a couple days ago that that released. So you touched on a couple points from that, but I'm wondering if you could say maybe some of the action items that you may have found out of that study and the information you were able to put together from that in partnership with American Society of Civil Engineers. Yeah, um, so the reason that we released that study um, at this time is because there are really, um, I think the essential questions that the level of government are thinking about is how do we jumpstart our economy as quickly right. as possible? How do we do that in a way that really sets the foundation for, for longer term prosperity? And so what the study very starkly shows is the cost of an action that if we maintain our current levels of investment, what is that going to mean for public health? What is that going to mean for GDP? What is that going to mean for family income? Um, and it also shows the numbers of what happens if you do invest all of the upside benefits. So for, for me, um, Lauren, I hope the biggest action item from that report is, and you can go to the valueofwater.org or ASCE website to get the report, to get the fact sheet. I hope that every single listener will share that information with their elected officials. I think they will, I hope they will call for financial assistance to utilities who are struggling uh, with uh, all the revenue loss that they've seen. I hope they will call for affordability and bill assistance for low-income families um, who are struggling. It's a shame in my mind that uh, all of the uh, relief and recovery dollars that have gone out, uh, none of it has come to water yet what is more essential uh, to people's daily lives. So I think that's the action. Read the report, share it with your elected officials, call for greater investment. Yeah, I hear you. And there's some really, really powerful data points in there as well that um, would be very useful to use for those action items. Yeah, and it's kind of compounded also just by this year, right? All the things that are happening with this year. And it this year is also really highlighted one of the other things that we're going to talk about in these future episodes, which is water access. And especially in um, Black, Indigenous, people of color communities, and notably with the Navajo Nation and other Indigenous peoples, they just don't have as much access. Could you talk a little bit about what we're talking about with water access and um, how One Water fits into that program of trying to provide more of it? Absolutely. Um, so for us at the U.S. Water Alliance, uh, we really won't achieve One Water unless equity and inclusion is incorporated into all of the strategies that we pursue. And so several years ago, um, we released um, a major national study called um, uh, An Equitable Water Future. And it really puts forward this framework uh, around water equity, these three pillars. And it looked all across the nation at different strategies folks were um, undertaking, whether it's around affordability or workforce development. 
um, et cetera, to, to advance more equitable practices. And you know, Bob, when we did that study, there was this number that just haunted me about the fact that there are 2 million people in this country that don't have um, flushing toilets and uh, tap water in their homes. And as someone who grew up um, in my early years in rural India where we were on wells and we had latrines as our toilets, I couldn't believe that that was the case in this country, right? It's, it right. was really an invisible problem. And so uh, for the last couple of years, we've been working on this issue of water access because there are, um, you know, while we have the issues in urban and suburban areas of aging infrastructure that needs upgrading and and becoming more resilient in the face of climate and all those things, we also have to think about those primarily rural communities and tribal communities that never got centralized infrastructure in the first place, that, that 2 million plus. Um, and so uh, in the context of COVID-19, I think um, this water access issue has come to the forefront in a way that I don't think that the sector has seen before. Um, and you mentioned the donation. Um, that 30 to 40% of, uh, of people who live in the Navajo Nation don't have access to running water in their homes. We also know that the Navajo Nation has uh, some of the highest incident of um, COVID-19 uh, per capita uh, of any community in, in this country. And so, um, so I think that it's such a tragedy to see what's happening around these water access issues in the context of COVID-19. I'm hopeful though, that it's gonna lead to a new generation of solutions um, uh, to, to really uh, recover. Yeah, and just to touch on it too, it's not only clean drinking water. We're talking about like, this is for sanitation purposes. Like how can you wash your hands without access to water? How, like you can't stem the tide of the spread of COVID-19 without clean water. That's right. And, and I'm glad it, uh, on the drinking water side, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned wastewater because what um, we are seeing in, in communities, for example, in Appalachia and the Black Belt in the South are the, the lack of sanitation systems and just how that is leading to public health out, outbreaks. Um, there's a fabulous uh, woman, Catherine Flowers, who you may want to interview for one of your future podcast. She's working on these issues in Loudons County, Alabama, actually is uh, one of these places that really have these uh, water access on the sanitation side issues. What mm -hmm. is, is also true is that now Loudons County, Alabama has the second highest um, incidence of COVID in, in Alabama. So all of these things are interconnected. Um, and again, water is such a central force for, for public health. One of our uh, last questions is, regarding water equity, affordability, and access, can you kind of describe the overarching challenges related to those three? Well, I think, um, I mean, we've covered quite a number of the challenges as far as what the lived experience is for, for people. I think, uh, as I think about the sector, um, one of the biggest challenges is really connecting the dots between folks to get to sustainable solutions, right? Um, some of the things that need to happen uh, to advance water equity in this country, utilities can do. Utilities can do it by how uh, changing their workforce development practices, by thinking about more affordable rate structures, all sorts of things. But the challenge of water equity, affordability, access, it's really a societal challenge, right? So we need 
government, uh, local, state, federal, to really have a different kind of partnership. We actually need philanthropy. Philanthropy has resources uh, to invest in communities, to, especially on the partnerships um, side. Um, and really, I think for us to forge real change on these issues, we have to understand the lived experience of low-income people, communities of color, who are the most impacted. They have great wisdom about what the solutions should be. And by partnering with them, by understanding their perspectives, I think we really can get to more sustainable solutions across the water industry. I really appreciate that you brought up listening to the voices of people who experience these issues and their role to play in finding the solutions for these problems. Because I think that's something that's often overlooked um, when we're either used to operating how we've always operated or we operate still within our own silo without looking to understand perspectives we don't know. Um, so 100% hear you and appreciate that. Bob, did you have a thought to add there? Yeah, so the other thing too, I remember when I attended the One Water Summit a couple of years ago, just the, the challenge of even bringing up these conversations and starting them and it being, being um, having some conflict there in, in the rooms when people are bringing up these difficult conversations. And one of the things that I just came away with that is, this is how it is. It's going to be very difficult conversations. We have to get used to being uncomfortable with when dealing with them. We have to understand that this isn't going to be all sunflowers and rainbows <laughs> to solve these problems. They're going to be real hard conversations to have, and we cannot stray from like going at them head on. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, that's really why the U.S. Water Alliance was created, um, to really try and be a platform that unites uh, diverse interests, to really find a common fellowship and, and advance common solutions. And um, and I will just say, and what and one of the things we say are within our team is we're trying to create safe but dangerous spaces to have the conversations that need to to be had. And you know, the one thing I will say is I have been so impressed with how the water industry has risen to the challenge of COVID-19. If you look at some of the ways in which utilities are figuring out reopening um, uh, their facilities, preparing for the reopening of schools, how um, they've figured out how to keep the treatment plants working, even as, as folks have gotten COVID. I mean, there is tremendous capacity for innovation in the water sector. And I think if we apply that to these issues of equity, we don't shy away from the discomfort, we embrace the discomfort as a way to grow. Um, I think we can solve this too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, before you go, let's talk a little bit about Imagine a Day. Could you talk a little bit about what that means? Where can people learn more um, and how they can get involved? Absolutely. Imagine a day. It's my favorite day of the year. Um, <laughs> I, I often joke about that, but it really is. Um, so Imagine a Day Without Water is on October 21st, fifth annual day of action. Um, Imagineadaywithoutwater.org is the website. Um, but really, Imagine a Day Without Water, it just has grown up organically from the water industry. We have a over a thousand folks that registered last year. And it really is an invitation and an opportunity to anybody who cares about uh, water, who cares about our nation's water future to stand up for water. 
Um, we have um, all kinds of things already in the works. A number of schools are doing events. Utilities are planning for virtual open houses actually this year because wow. you know they can't do real uh, in-person open houses. Um, mayoral proclamations, uh, all kinds of things, uh, video and photo contests. So we would love for all of your listeners to join us for Imagine a Day Without Water. You know, this year's Imagine a Day Without Water is coming a couple weeks before probably the most historic election of my lifetime at least. And so we also have some special resources around how to engage public officials um, around Imagine a Day Without Water. And we just hope all of your listeners will, will join us. Yeah, share your water experiences. Make sure people don't take it for granted. <laughs> yeah. And well, listen to so. the October podcast that you all will be doing. <laughs> and I think a lot of it uh, too is about, yeah, all of us in the, in the water sector um, work every day to try and understand more the value of water and understand what life would be without it. But I think a huge crucial element of it is that community engagement element too, which goes back to so many things we've been talking about this episode together, how that's all interrelated and um, how we need to work to raise awareness and perspective surrounding those. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Radhika. We always right. enjoy talking to you. It's so yes. fun. We always learn so much year over year. Um, so yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. I always listen to your podcast. I always learn so much. It's one of my favorites uh, when I go on my morning walk. So thank you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel famous now. Thank you, Radhika. Yeah. Lauren's leaving for vacation after today. So she's now she's on an absolute high to start it. <laughs> yeah, starting on a good note. That's really cool. Thank you so much for the interview, Radhika, and for having that important conversation with us. I hope that we can have more of those conversations in the future. Um, before we sign off today, I do want to remind you of a few housekeeping items. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And you can always reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. And finally, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.